The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for December 3rd, 2021. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you here. A bit of an interesting episode for you. No interview this week um, because I was struck, struck by the holiday spirit. Indeed, it was a couple days ago. Uh, uh, when I inflated an 11 foot, <laughs> an 11 foot, I don't even know what you call it, statue, inflatable statue in my front yard uh, uh, that I, I was I was inspired thinking about an old Christmas story and how it might affect our modern world. We are also going to discuss the Pennsylvania Senate race. This is something that uh, is is very interesting because you got some very interesting names. Uh, Pat Toomey has retired from uh, the Senate. He is an incumbent Republican, which means it's a toss-up seat. And we now have our most famous entrant, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Television personality, heart surgeon, and now, Republican Senate candidate. We will discuss both his entry into that race and the true spirit of Christmas by way of the Grinch. But Like I just mentioned, Dr. Oz is now in politics. We're going to go ahead and play his full debut video. Uh, Here it is. My parents came to America to find a better life, and they did. I attended great universities, raised a family, and became a successful surgeon. I invented a heart valve that saves thousands of lives. Then I started a TV show to advocate for you taking control of your health and took on the medical establishment to argue against costly drugs and skyrocketing medical bills. But COVID has shown us that our system is broken. We lost too many lives, too many jobs, and too many opportunities because Washington got it wrong. They took away our freedom without making us safer and tried to kill our spirit and our dignity. As a heart surgeon, I know how precious life is. Pennsylvania needs a conservative who will put America first. One who can reignite our divine spark, bravely fight for freedom, and tell it like it is. That's why I'm running for Senate. I'm Dr. Oz, and I approve this message. All right, so I wanted to kind of deep dive on the video uh, and on the race itself. Uh, As you guys know, I love debut videos because it is the best laid plans 
of a campaign. It shows you what they would like to do. Their first draft of what this campaign is going to look like. In my opinion, the best campaigns are the ones that understand when to stick to their script because those strengths are indeed fundamental and when to change course and accept that the breeze is blowing them in a different direction. Still, you can see some of the competency or incompetency, some of the absolute intangibles or major flaws in some of these intro videos. And so I wanted to go over a few things, uh, a few coded words that I, I wanted to bring up to you. Uh, Oz uses the phrase divine spark. Obviously that has religious connotations to it. And it will be the way that he points out that he is indeed a religious man while also not offending the fact that he is a practicing Muslim and has said in the past that he appreciates elements of mysticism within Islam. He is also a practicer of transcendental meditation, but again, focus on he's religious, divine spark. The majority of voters in Pennsylvania are Christian of various denominations, so there's that. There is a moment where he says, knows the value of life. What you can't see is that it goes largely the the um, the 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 commercial is shot not unlike his television show. He is walking. You see him in, in largely full body. It looks like a television set that he is shooting on. Uh, he is is talking straight up to the camera, looking directly into your eyes. Uh, that belays obviously a confident television personality. But there is a moment where it cuts to him holding a baby. And it's when he's saying knows the value of life. Obviously, that is a wink to the pro-life crowd. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more uh, later in the segment. But what he does not mention is something that's going to be an issue both in the primary and in the general. And that is the fact that he's only been registered in Pennsylvania to vote since late 2020. And he's lived majority, uh, the majority of his life in New Jersey. And by the way, not the Pennsylvania side of New Jersey. He's largely lived on the opposite side of the Hudson River facing into New York. That is because that's where he shoots his show, the Dr. Oz show. That's where he still is a member of the faculty at Columbia and he does practice medicine. So we're going to get into the carpet bagging in a second. Put a pin in that. Now, the large question that I had coming out of this, not knowing a lot about Dr. Oz's personal politics, is where is he going to want to slot himself? Where does he want to be on the political compass? He has not been unfriendly to Trump. And yet, in this particular introduction, he is anti-establishment. Washington got it wrong. He has fought against special interests, so he is using the outsider playbook. But it isn't full... Trump, 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 make America great again. In the past, Dr. Oz has described himself as a moderate Republican in the mold of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Teddy Roosevelt, which is something that I don't necessarily mean, I don't necessarily think means a whole lot. I describe the message that he puts out here as center-right with a MAGA glaze. 
I also watched the uh, 10 minute hit that he did on Sean Hannity show the same night that he released this. And there he went a little bit more red meat talking about refunding the police and making sure that the border is taken care of. Uh, so he, he has more MAGA red meat in him. But again, this is why those these intro videos are important because it shows you what they want, what they what, what they would prefer the world to look at their candidate as. Speaking of Trump, he doesn't mention him in that introduction video. Despite the fact that Dr. Oz was named to the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition in 2018. This suggests that Dr. Oz is running a little bit more of the Yunkin playbook. Never shy away from talking about Trump, but do not make being a Trump acolyte your brand. You're seeing this in these primaries on the right across the country. There are folks who just out and out say, I am a Trump Republican. I am a Trump-backed, Trump-based entrepreneur, blah, 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 blah. There is the politics of being a Trump disciple. And then there is the idea of never apologize for, but don't make your brand. I think in a state that Trump lost, although barely, Pennsylvania in 2020, the idea of running a little bit more Yunkin, a little bit less DeSantis is probably smart. Now, let me reiterate this again because you can't see the visuals here, but Dr. Oz is very comfortable on television, and that should be no surprise. He's been in syndicated uh, TV for, I mean, I guess well over a decade at this point. He's going to be face up to the camera more than any other candidate in this race, either the primary or the general. He's going to seem more comfortable there than anybody else. Now, the message that he has to say when he is making dead eye contact with that lens will be something to watch for. The other question, the other question that we would have is... Well, he's got name ID. Dr. Oz, again, has been on television for a very, very, very long time. But exactly how much will that matter with the demos that watch daytime television? And I'm specifically looking at seniors and women. If he is connected to these audiences, if he has their trust, then again, he's going to have a head start in the process. And obviously, his name ID is going to dominate everybody else in this race. And uh, uh, when I start naming the, the folks that are in it, you're going to get the, the, the gist here. Listen, uh, real quick primer on what's happening in PA. There was a hand-picked Trump, Trump candidate here. His name was Sean Parnell. And it was only in the last few weeks that he dropped out. This was after an ugly custody battle with his wife that involved charges of abuse. And it's at that point that the whole race changed. In fact, it seems as if that's probably the reason why Dr. Oz is here to begin with. Uh, who knows if he would have run against the idea of a Trump-backed candidate. Now, there are a few candidates in this race that aren't, strictly speaking, Keystone Staters. 
David McCormick is a hedge fund guy who's primarily lived in Connecticut. Carla Sands lived primarily in California before being shipped to Denmark as Trump's ambassador. Now, Oz, McCormick, and Sands are joined by two folks who are definitely from Pennsylvania, Kathy Barney and Jeff Bartos. Although, we're going to have to see how this race shakes out, because if three of the top five candidates don't want to talk about where they lived previous to getting into this race, then who knows exactly how much the you're a carpetbagger stuff will wash. If Barney or uh, uh, Jeff Bartos, I'm sorry, uh, I kept saying Kathy uh, Barney, Barnett, Kathy Barnett, my apologies to Kathy, and Jeff Bartos, if they are, are leading, if they are doing well, then it will be a, a, a problem. But that's where somebody like Dr. Oz is better for the race if you are either McCormick or Sands. Because if he's leading, then the carpetbagger stuff will be less than. The question, of course, is why are so many people who don't live in Pennsylvania running for this seat? And again, the reason is because there is an open seat. Senate Republican Pat Toomey is retiring. That means that folks do not have to run against an incumbent. And when you're talking about the Senate, which is a six-year term, that's a pretty spicy meatball, something that folks will really go out of their way to do. And apparently out of their way includes Cliffside, New Jersey, Connecticut, and California. One more thing about this race. It's going to be the most competitive of the 2022 cycle, at least when it comes to dollars. This will almost assuredly be the most expensive Senate race in history. Bar none. That means having somebody with personal wealth and connections to larger wealth will mean a lot. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars that are going to have to be raised here. That would put somebody like McCormick or like Dr. Oz in a bit of the catbird seat. You're going to be able to fundraise a lot more. You're going to be able to be connected to high dollar donations a lot quicker. One last thing, this will be close, or at least it will be according to the, the crystal ball outfit, Larry Sabato's uh, joint. Of all the Senate races, there is only one for which is a toss-up, not lean D, not safe D, not lean R, not safe R, straight up and down like six o'clock toss-up. And that is Pennsylvania. In many ways, this will likely determine who runs the Senate. If Dr. Oz does turn out to be a formidable candidate, obviously that would be very good news for Senate Republican leadership. One last thing about celebrities in general running for office. Usually, what happens is that every celebrity believes they could be a really good politician, probably because they've met a lot of politicians and they see a lot of failed actors. What usually stops them is this, especially running a statewide race, let alone a national one. The schedule is grueling. It is 
five to six events every single day on the road, very little sleep, and no margin for error in the YouTube world. If you say something screwed up, if you screw up on your words, if you stumble, if you mumble, if you eat the wrong food because it's shaped too much like a penis, you are going to be punished for it. That usually scares away folks who are famous for doing things that don't quite have that strenuous of a schedule. Television actors, movie actors, and I would say even syndicated television hosts. That's not exactly a seven events a day flying around and trusting people around you kind of gig. Now, it's not quite as airy and spacious as being, you know, George Clooney, who works, you know, a couple months out of the year. But still, Donald Trump was unique in this. He was built for the fact that he wanted to go out there. He wanted to entertain. He enjoyed doing it. Not everybody's like that. Running for statewide office is a grueling, grueling job. It is an ego-depleting job that, again, has very little margin for error. Is Dr. Oz built for this life? We find out. Ladies and gentlemen, the holiday season is upon us. Happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends. The Festival of Lights. The Christmas season is here for for many of us. And uh, uh, I've begun listening to Christmas music. We're going to talk a lot about a Christmas story coming up next. But... One of the things that really matters the most in, in in my life, especially during this season, is reflecting on who you have relied on and who has relied on you. I think about this a lot with family, especially now that we have kids running around in our family. The next generation is in bloom. And I, I you know, at, at this Thanksgiving, I was talking with my uncle, who was a very big part of my life when I was growing up. I idolized him. He was like the coolest guy on the planet. And now I look at trying to be somebody that is enriching in the lives of the young kids in in our existence. And when I think about that idea in a 360 degree way, why am I able to be a stable uh, existence. Why am I able to to buy some some fun presents for 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 the younger kids in uh, uh, in our family? Well, it's because I got a job, and I'm thankful to have it every single day because I know that that's not ever a given. You know, we've all been through rough patches in life, and I not only have a job, I have a job doing something that I really, really, really care about. It's something that I love doing, that I get a real kick out of doing. And the only reason why I get a chance to do it is because of you. Everybody who heads on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. When I'm watching that Dr. Oz video, I'm thinking about whether or not I am flying to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh because I'm going to see that goofy dude out there on the stump catching some vibes. I do that because of you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do it. And if you would like to peel off as part of your gift-giving budget this season, 
to benefit this show? Well, you can do it by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. At the $3 level, that is three bucks a week, you get two bonus episodes, one on Sunday and one, or sorry, it's, it's the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show, comes out early, uh, really late Sunday night, early Monday morning. And then, of course, the late edition, the latest news that we will discuss will happen on that show. That comes out on Thursday, like mid-morning afternoon. Thanks again. These will get a little sappier as we get closer to the holiday season because I'm a big old baby. TakePoliticsSeriously.com My wife and I were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the decorations on our house. We became homeowners this year. This is the first time that we had a chance to decorate our house. I've always loved Christmas. And so I always knew that we were going to do decorations. My wife loves Halloween. And so she went all out for the Halloween season. She decided to do it as a dinosaur theme. So we had little uh, inflatable skeleton dinosaurs on the front yard. We had a projection of, of dinosaurs walking through our living room. There were a lot of lights. It was a really, really, really fun time. And initially, our thought was that we would do something movie themed. The idea of Die Hard was, was, was played around. Maybe we would make a big Nakatomi Plaza in our front yard. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further... Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Maybe you should have put it on a bulletin board. Then I realized, you want to know what? Kids loved those dinosaurs. We heard from neighbors around our, our, our development here that uh, some of the kids were, were so enthralled with the dinosaurs, they named them and they made their parents drive by the house every night. So we wanted something that was a little bit more for capital T, capital K, these kids. So I decided that we would go with the Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a Dr. Seuss is somebody that I've always really appreciated, even as a young kid. And the older I've gotten, the more I have realized that while the Seussian playbook is fairly simple, it is brilliant. He has very, very, very basic lessons that are then layered on top of with, you know, sometimes invented lazy or hokey rhyme schemes. And when Cindy Lou went up with her cup. Nice kid. Bad judge of character. He went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. He invents a lot of words. It's a lot. It's very silly. The illustrations very much carry the entire package. 
But obviously, no Christmas season would be complete unless you view the classic animated 1966 short film, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Trim up the tree with Christmas stuff, like bingo balls and hoof hoof fluff. Trim up the tree with goo-hoo guns and bizzle beats and ones. Voiced by Boris Karloff, uh, both singing and narrating and doing the voice of the Grinch. It is a total holiday classic. And it was when I was thinking about the Grinch, I found one more element of Dr. Seuss's brilliance. Because the story of the Grinch is something that we can learn a lot from, not just for kids, but adults. And it really stuck with me when it comes to our modern political world and how we treat each other within it. And so it's with that that I would like to summarize the story of the Grinch, taking moments so we can pick out a few lessons that could benefit us. We open our story with the Who's excited for Christmas. They go and grab a tree and they decorate it. Now, the Who's are intentionally in this story not given a ton of personality. Our narrator is effectively through the eyes of the Grinch, and we we, we very much see things through his perspective. And I don't think that it is by accident that the folks that eventually invoke his ire are kind of one-dimensional. They're these little automatons that go out and love things. They find a tree, they decorate it, and then they buy each other ridiculous Seussian presents. The Grinch, of course, hates all this. And even in the story, nobody knows why. This is, of course, an analogy to empathy, and for the Grinch, a lack thereof. His heart is literally two sizes too small. Now, the Grinch is a very interesting and layered character, specifically where we're going in our analysis. But it brings us to our first lesson, that we don't need to understand why our ideological adversaries are who they are. We do need to understand what they act like and adjust accordingly. But we'll get there in a second. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. Of course, the Grinch loathes the Who's. While he knows that they celebrate Christmas, he gives himself an excuse for bad behavior. See, it's not the fact that they are joyful. It is the fact that they create so much noise. In this moment, the Grinch makes himself the victim. A man simply trying to live in peace with his dog, Max, unable to do so by the inhumanity of his neighbors. Crucially, he mixes one grievance amongst the noise complaints that the Who's will enjoy a meal together, in that he is revealed that this is really about something else. The Who's have a community, 
and he does not. It is this isolation that we do not know when and where it was caused. We do not know if the Who's have been inhumane to the Grinch, but certainly he is acting like it. And if they continue to exclude him, he will take their joy. The Grinch says specifically that he has suffered for 53 years. This creates and cements an internal narrative of a patient man who has now finally cracked. Now, if that is not a Vox explainer of, yes, the Grinch was justified, and indeed he should do it again, I don't know what is. And exactly what he does is prepares a Santa suit and then goes down and steals all of the Who's presents, their decorations, their trees. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Now, he is only given throughout this process one pause. And that is when he is interrupted by the only who who gets any kind of character development. That is Cindy Lou Who. She is an innocent little girl who interrupts the Grinch's thievery to ask a very simple question. Santa, why are you taking things instead of giving them? Now let's pause here to understand that the Grinch is very lucky that it was only Cindy Lou Who who woke up. One could imagine maybe an adolescent young Who who sees the Grinch and uh, gets very scared to the point where he starts screaming. An adult Who who may or may not invoke the Stand Your Ground law to shoot the Grinch dead. But instead it is the befuddled innocence of a child who asks the Grinch these very simple questions. And it is in this moment that the Grinch sinks one step lower in his humanity. Because to continue his crime spree, the Grinch tells the little girl a lie. That he is only taking the tree because he wants to fix a light on the other side of it. Now, of course, the Grinch knows that he is not going to bring the tree back as he promises Cindy. He is going to leave it to rot. She is going to wake up the next day knowing that Santa Claus personally lied to her. This further sinks the Grinch into awfulness. And now not only has he let his victimhood make him into a malicious thief, he is now directly a liar who is warping a child's understanding of Christmas salting the earth and possibly even preventing future Christmas noise. Friends, in this moment, the Grinch is a true bellend. Having robbed the Who's blind, the Grinch returns to his mountain enclave victorious. He is very 
very, very pleased with himself. He is thrilled that he stripped Whoville bare, leaving only wires and crumbs not big enough for a mouse. And in this moment, he has every element of the sugar rush that comes with empty political victories. He has sent that blistering, mean tweet. He is watching the retweets roll up. He has struck a virtuous blow to privilege. A rot in upper society, blind to the plight that it causes. Not only will Christmas be ruined this year, but Cindy Lou Who will be specifically damaged. He is pulling this up by the root. Forever distrustful of the idea that she is only beginning to cherish Santa, charity, gifts, love. This is the best that anyone will feel in these victories. Because these victories are devoid of empathy. They are done solely to destroy others. And like the Grinch, they are often done because we delude ourselves into believing that our enemies are truly worthy of this kind of wanton destruction. Think about it. When you've gotten into a fight or somebody has been rude to you over a political disagreement, how good does it feel and for how long? Certainly, there is that moment where you feel fantastic and justified. But rarely does it sit with you. Rarely do you look back in times where you want to fondly reminisce on your life and think about all the good times that you made somebody feel terrible. And I would suspect that that's the same on the other side of people who have done ugly things to you. Because just like the Grinch, eventually... The moment comes. The realization that everything that he did was not to benefit him. The Grinch used the noise narrative to grease the wheels of dehumanization. But in reality, he just wanted an excuse to hurt people. His full reveal comes soon after. This is what happens when you search for liberal tears. This is laughing at the copium huffers. This is truly inhumanity. And it brings about a revelation. The same delusion that leads us to inhumanity is also able to delude the very premise of our anger. The way we seek to hurt each other isn't even guaranteed to work. It comes from a reflection of our own insecurity, which doesn't always match with the weaknesses of our ideological enemies. The Grinch assumed his cruelty would hurt them. He debased himself to do it, and he only succeeded in being a total poophead. While the Who's have realized that this is not about trees and presents and doodads, it's not about a feast. It's about each other. 
the Grinch realizes that he has debased himself so low. Poo-poo to the Who's, he was Grinchly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who's down in Whoville will all cry, Boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. He paused, and the Grinch put a hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Now, of course, because this is a story where people learn lessons, the Grinch immediately reforms. He realizes that his assumptions were wrong. He returns the presents, and the Who's immediately forgive him. In fact, the idea that he was only apart from them because of his own trauma is instructive. When the Grinch returns, he not only is hailed as a hero for distributing presents to all the good boys and girls, but he is allowed to lead the feast. That's a rubber band level of repair. How many relationships have we damaged because of political anger? How many narratives have we written in our own head about the journey of others and why they are deserving of the lashing out and the punishment? How many times have they done the same to us? Of course, in reality, there are very few who's in the real world, and we're probably a lot more like the Grinch. But just like the Grinch goes from listening for pain to the head 
of the Christmas table in under five minutes. How much of our own life could we repair if we just led with forgiveness and empathy? It's not universal. It's not a magic bullet. But I would say if we try to center these ideas a little bit more throughout this holiday season, Roast Beast awaits all of us who try. And that will wrap it up for this week. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio. Uh, Our program was edited uh, today by Brett Stewart. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. You can find us uh, on the internet at px3podcast.com. That's the best way to share this with your friends and family. Our merch is found at politicsmerch.com. Of course, if you would like to drop a little financial donation down my Christmas stocking, give me a little Christmas bonus, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo, Justin-Young-20, and on Cash App, it is PX3Cash. If you'd like to send something to our P.O. Box, it is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at Take Politics Seriously. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And of course, the $10 tier gets you all that and your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arzlani and DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dakin Sayani, LA Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, 70 TV salesman or spy. Do you really? And vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bungo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Double K Ranch, Pop Gold, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, Snuffy's Off Route 44, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief. Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, Will, J. Pink, and Andrew. You want your name read on there during these winter months? Well, only one place to do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's it. That's it for the week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed my little audio essay on The Grinch. I love that movie. I haven't seen the live action one in a really long long time, and I haven't seen the Illuminations one, but that 1966 one, it's just, ah, it's so good. Animation's so fun. Boris Karloff, what a, what a God. Anyway, uh, back to the normal uh, format next week. We're going to have two interviews. Uh, Our boy Polymath is going to be back, and we have an author uh, who wrote a, a book for which I could not resist the title, the title of the book is called Penis Politics, and it is a former aide to both Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio. Should be a fun one. That'll be next week. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying 
Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss L3! Dog and Pony Show Audio.